now batting for the Cubs corner, the host, Anthony Pasquale. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Cubs Corner. I'm your host, Anthony Pasquale, and as always, this episode is brought to you by Coach's Bar and Grill. Coach's is located over at 6169 North Northwest Highway on the northwest side of Chicago. They are indeed closing in about a couple of months, so make sure you get to Coach's before they shut down. No announcement yet on if they'll be moving to a different location, but that location on Northwest Highway only has a couple of good months left, so make sure you head over to Coaches. Opening days this week, you can enjoy the Cub game over at Coaches. We've got a very special guest here on the show today. Joining us on the Cubs Corner is CHGO's Ryan Herrera. Thanks for coming on the show, Ryan. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. Now, for some of our viewers and listeners who may not know what CHGO is and what you do over there, could you just briefly explain that for us? Yeah, so CHGO, we launched last March, so March 4th, 2022. Happy birthday. Um, <laughs> yeah, a little belated, but I'll take it. Um, no, we uh, so we launched a little over a year ago, uh, and we're just uh, you know a, a network. Um, you know, we cover all the, the major Chicago teams, plus some coverage of the, uh, you know, uh, other professional teams you know, we have eight different beats i guess you would say um but we do you know our, our main thing is is podcasting slash live youtube shows we do um shows on youtube about five days a week turn those into you know podcasts or you know take the audio and put them into podcast form um my job's also a little bit different i do that plus you know i am the beat writer so i'm at the ballpark uh, you know i cover the cubs um i'm on the chgo cubs team um, so I'm at the ballpark a lot covering the team, you know, getting, you know, reporting, getting some of the inside scoops from there. Um, and that's kind of what I bring to the table as far as what we do on the show. But, um, yeah, outside of what I do specifically, the big thing is, you know, our, our live YouTube shows, we do those five days a week, um, about an hour ish, every episode. Um, we're starting to build a really nice community, nice baseline of, uh, of, of, of a fan base or the people that kind of come into our live shows and, and hop in and chat, um, which is also a big feature. Um, and yeah, that, that's kind of the mission is just building a community, making it more fun to be a Cubs fan, giving Cubs fans, but you know, just not even just Cubs fans, Chicago sports fans, um, you know, an avenue to make their voices heard. I think that's one thing that had actually kind of been lacking uh, prior to what we did, um, but giving fans, you know, that, that avenue to be live on the show, to be in the chat, to talk to us as we're, you know, discussing the Cubs or, you know, the Bears team that does it or the Bulls or whoever it is, um, giving fans an actual avenue to make their voices heard. That's not just like a tweet. Right. Um, I think that's a cool thing that we do that we've kind of brought to the table and, you know, that's, one of the main ways, again, our our mission, our mission is just to make it more fun to be a Chicago sports fan, to kind of build a community, and I think that's a, one of the main ways that we've kind of gone about it and been successful at starting to do that. Yeah, it, it's a great vessel for Chicago sports fans, and I think you guys do a great job. It's it's real coverage, it's real journalism, but it, you know, it also caters to what a fan wants and what a fan needs, and I, I think um, it's been awesome to see you guys kind of blossom over the last year. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I think that was the mission is like you look at each, you know, team or each beat and, you know, I guess we'll go look at the Cubs specifically. You know, I'm the I'm the beat writer, the reporter, the sort of objective one that just kind of brings the, you know, the word from the clubhouse. Right. 
Uh, but we have Luke Stuckmeyer, who's, you know, he was on NBC Sports Chicago, Comcast Sports. Now, like, he's done a lot of stuff in the city uh, sports-wise. Now, he's the host of the show. Um, he, he does a lot of the planning for us, um, but also brings a little bit of not just the professional side and the knowledge from having been in the clubhouse in the past, but he's also a Cubs fan and, and brings that point of view as well. And then we have Cody Del Mendo, who's, uh, if you've watched the show, you know he's a big, big Cubs fan and he brings I think he connects with a lot of fans because there are a lot of fans that are just really really big Cubs fans and want to see them do well um, and so I think the three of us in the, in that mix bring a bring different we bring three different points of view that cater to different types of fans right there might be more fans that look at it in the way Luke does a little bit more um, you know reality based or, or maybe, maybe not pessimistic is the wrong word but um you know, not just super fanny, right? But Cody's a little bit more of that. He, he really wants the Cubs to do well. Um, and he has the same opinion as a lot of Cubs fans you'd find on Twitter or in our chat. Uh, but I think what we all, all three bring to the table has mixed well and does mix well. And I think that's another reason why um, the show has, or our, you know, just our company has grown because every beat has that. They have that same sort of mix of, of different personalities and different points of view. Um, and I think that makes for a good show because it's not we're not always arguing all the time, but we're not also um, you know always agreeing on everything all the time. Uh, so I think mixing mixing points of views, mixing um, you know backgrounds or, or whatever you want to call, it, I think that mix has been very successful for us, especially on our Cubs beat. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you look around the the CHGO kind of roster, if you will, and there are some, you know, people that a lot of Chicago media fans would recognize, like a Luke Stuckmeyer and a Herb Lawrence. And then there's also, you know, that younger crowd of, of journalists or podcasters like yourself and Cody. How has that mix kind of came about and how has that been? Yeah, I mean, I think that was the goal from the outset is is getting, you know, personalities that are known, right? You know, like you mentioned, Luke and, and Herb Lawrence, like, personalities that are known around Chicago um, and mixing that with, you know, up and comers or, or people that are a little bit newer to the business. Like prior to getting this job, I had not had a long career covering baseball. Right. But I, you know, I work, you know, I, I, I'll say I worked my butt off. I, you know, went, went to journalism school, came out, did different things. I um, really tried to get my name out there and was able to, you know, I think I earned the job, right. Maybe, Maybe it, it came a little earlier than I expected, but I think I did what I did to earn it. Mm-hmm. But I'm still new, right? Um, I'm still new to the to the beat, new to the position, new to the industry. Um, but that's also, I think, from the outside is what our bosses wanted to do is mix people like me who are new and still kind of getting their feet wet with some of these uh, people that are a little bit more ingrained in, into the Chicago sports landscape, Herb. Uh, you know, Adam Hogue on the Bears beats another example of a guy who's been around for a little bit. Um, yeah, just just mixing personalities that have been around that people know with personalities like me that are just newer and people don't know as well, but can get to know in, in, in the right space. Um, That's that was the goal from the outset. It's been great. Um, obviously, like I said, a year in, um, we're looking forward to an, an even better year, too. Yeah, absolutely. Congratulations on all your success thus far over there. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. So, um, if I'm correct, you did get to to go to Arizona to cover spring training. What are some of the the things that you learned over there that um, you know kind of 
make this roster make a little bit of sense or, you know, different things throughout spring training? Yeah, so it's been a few weeks since I was down there. But, you know, even the first couple weeks of spring training, you start to learn a lot about what about how they look at this kind of roster, right? Um, I think the, the only real rotation battle going into it was that number five starter. Like, that's just an example, that number five starter spot, because you had guys like Marcus Stroman and Justin Steele and, and Jamison Tyone, Drew Smiley, who from the outset seemed pretty, like they were pretty much set in the rotation. Yeah. Um, and so you go into it, right? You have questions. You kind of make your assumptions on who might have the the head up or a leg up on the rest of the competition. We knew uh, from day one, David Ross had mentioned uh, Hayden Wozneski, Adrian Sampson, and Javier Assad as being in that number five starter battle, along with some of the non-roster invites that were uh, in, in spring camp as well. Um, but very quickly, you start to see that like someone like Hayden Wozneski is standing out, even though they hadn't started playing games yet. Um, he came to camp ready to go. His bullpens were all looking good. Like everything he did was looking great. And so you start, you know, even though it's early, you start to kind of piece together about like, okay, this is someone that, you know, even though he was only, a, you know, he's only pitched six times in the big leagues, but he might, you know, actually put himself on the map for a rotation spot. And as we learned over the weekend, like he did, right? Reports out of Arizona, David Ross told reporters out there that Hayden Wisniewski missed, um, you know, or uh, not missed, made the rotation uh, the number five starter. And, you know, it's, it took six weeks for that to come to fruition, right? Like the spring training started mid-February, but um, you get to the end of March, two days away now from opening day, and Hayden Wisniewski's the number five starter. And and that's what's so cool about spring training sometimes is you just kind of see how those kind of competitions and just the construction of the roster kind of evolve over time, over those six weeks. Um, whereas... Personally, I thought maybe Adrian Sampson had the best shot to make that number five starter, um, and maybe Aiden Wisniewski and Javier Assad both would have started at AAA, you know, in the rotation there just to be kind of starting pitching depth. And now you go six weeks later, Aiden Wisniewski's in the rotation, Javier Assad's in the bullpen, and Adrian Sampson was optioned to AAA. So it just it always fascinates me how, yeah, you have your your guys that are locked in and our roster locks from the get-go, but you also have these position battles where we don't put a whole lot of stock into spring training games because they don't mean a whole lot. But in the end, they do sometimes matter when it comes down to things like this. And I, I just think that's cool watching it, watching how things like that evolve over time, over those six weeks. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with with Kyle Hendricks kind of known to be on the the injured list to start the season, that five-starter spot was up for grabs. And I'm with you. I thought going into it, Adrian Sampson probably had the best chance. I mean, he started the most games out of those guys last year. Um, I think he had 19 starts, and his ERA was right around three. But then you get into spring training, he struggles a lot. Hayden Wesneski kind of excels as a starter, and Javier Assad in the World Baseball Classic kind of turned it up out of the bullpen, so it all kind of fell into place like that. Yeah, no, exactly, and that's that's just what spring training is. And, yeah, I, I say spring training games don't matter, but when it comes down to battles like this, they do. Like, the, the, the results matter. Like, you know, because some guys, you know, I, and not to say that, like, a guy like Jameson Tyone wasn't trying or anything, but he could come into the early spring games and just be working on things, right? Like, the results didn't ultimately matter that much. If he was, he could have spent like an entire outing, two innings or whatever, just trying to, to nail down that new slider he'd been working on, right? And maybe it doesn't work 
that game and he gets lit up or whatever. I don't you know. I don't know off the top of my head, but that's just an example that of something that could happen with a guy who's locked in for the rotation, right? But for those other three guys, Assad, Wesneski, and Samson, that wasn't as clear. Their role wasn't as clear. So those early games did ultimately matter and how they performed on the mound. Even though Cactus League doesn't affect the regular season standings, how they performed actually did end up mattering in terms of this number five starter competition. Yeah, absolutely. And when we were you know, first trying to plan this podcast, I wanted to ask you about um, you know, you look at that old era of the Cubs where they really failed to extend any of their young talent with the exception of Kyle Hendricks. And I was going to ask you about Nico Horner and Ian Happ and if you thought an extension was going to get done. But late last night, we found out Nico Horner has been extended three years, $35 million. I personally think, you know, it was a move that was well-deserved and it hopefully will be the first domino to fall in, in kind of keeping this young core together. Um, and I think it was a good move. What are your thoughts on the Nico Horner extension? Yeah, so, uh, you know, that came out um, last night, which would be Monday night. Um, Jeff Passan of ESPN reported three, three years, $35 million um, to begin 2024. Um, so realistically, if you add it all together, he'll be making about $37.5 million over from 2023 through 2026. That'll cover um, through his first year of, what would have been free agency. Um, but to your question, I thought, you know, from the beginning, from even from last season, you know, the end of last season, talking to Jed Hoyer uh, at his end of season press conference and about potential contract extensions, I, I thought Nico was more than deserving. I thought, you know, this is a guy that um, represents the Cubs the right way, plays the right way, works behind the scenes the right way, um, is kind of coming into his own as a leader, even though he's only 25 years old. Um, I thought that he was someone that if you were going to extend anyone on this roster, like he's one that was near the top of the list. Now, I probably would have originally thought a few more years would have been on the table. Me too. Uh, originally, like that was my thought, but the more I think about what it is, the end of this extension will also be like the end of his age 29. So he'll still be 29 when he reaches free agency. So, I, you know, I don't know this thinking for sure, but this is kind of where where my head's at is this could be Nico, you know, wanting to be able to hit free agency before he turns 30, which we all know like that post 30 is just when guys start to decline. Right. And mm-hmm. guys still have a few more years of prime years in, in that sense. But the numbers do historically just decline. Um, so maybe that's Nico wanting to get maybe another payday before he turns 30. Um, not to say that he wouldn't want to re-sign with the Cubs after this extension is over, um, but just to have the ability to go out and see what's out there on the market. Um, but I, I think it also, from the Cubs' perspective, gives him a little bit of an out, right, <laughs> at the end of these next four seasons if a Nico Horner isn't performing um, or maybe he performs to a level where the Cubs don't want to or he gets a, a contract that the Cubs don't want to match or something, right? Like, that's it gives him a little bit of an out in three years versus being tied down to a longer-term contract um, that I guess you never really know if it's going to affect the bottom line a few years from now. Right? You don't know what's going to happen. Baseball's crazy. Injuries happen. You know, Bad performances happen. Baseball isn't, isn't an easy sport to predict, so you don't know that a five-, six-year contract extension for Nico would have paid off. So um, from Nico's perspective, it gives him a chance to hit free agency sooner rather than later, and it also gives the Cubs – again, a little bit of an out 
in a few years from now. So uh, the more I thought about it, I think it made a little bit of sense. I Like I said, I did think that he, a, a couple more years would have been on the table, but I guess we'll kind of see what the, um, the discourse is around that once the club, the club actually confirms it. Right. And I mean, you look at, you look at what Jed was able to do with signing Dansby Swanson for seven years. Um, you pretty much have shortstop under wraps for seven years and, and, you know, it kind of gives the three-year deal kind of gives Jed and the Cubs a little bit of wiggle room with, you know, prospects like Christian Hernandez or Ed Hoyer or not Ed Hoyer, excuse me, Ed Howard or Kevin made some of these young shortstops and middle infielders that are coming up through the system. If you would assign Nico for six, seven years, that second base shortstop is kind of blocked. So it also gives them a little bit of a, um, an out that way, if you will. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't know that the Cubs look at it that way. Cause I, at least if it was me, you know, if I was Jed, right. If I was Jed Hoyer, I don't know that I'd be calling, calling the shots because in a few years, a few prospects could be coming yeah, up. Right? Never bank on them. Um, it's it's the kind of the same, you know. Ian Happ's another guy that is potentially in those extension talks, um, and you know the Cubs' top prospects are all outfielders. But we've seen good prospects throughout Major League Baseball come up and just not amount to anything, right? Like just just don't pan out. Um, so one guy like Ian Happ is he's 28 years old. I want, you know off the top of my head, I believe, um, and he's he's in his prime, coming off an All Star season, and you may be better off extending. A guy like Ian Happ, who had at least one full year of high, you know, good performance at the major league level, versus, you know, I've I've seen the discourse that the Cubs should just trade Ian Happ this year because they have Brennan Davis coming up potentially and, and Pete Armstrong potentially in twenty twenty four, which I get right. Like those prospects excite him. Kevin Alcantara maybe another year or so away after that. Um, a lot of those guys are exciting, but none of them have proved anything at the major league right. level, right? Um, and so that's when I look at it uh, based on Nico, and they have some good middle infield prospects. But one, those are you know they're a few they're a few years away, most of them. Um, and two, those guys may not pan out either. And you have you obviously have Dansby Swanson for seven years, but now they've locked down um, someone who should be in that Gold Glove conversation, if not the All Star conversation at second base. And Nico, um, yes, what a longer term contract have, you know, kind of locked up that position when those, some of those guys are ready to come up. Sure. Um, but I do think the Cubs would still look to sign, to have signed Nico to that extension again, because you don't know that those prospects will actually pan out. Right. And you, you kind of know what you have with Nico and they like what they have in Nico. So it, it definitely seems like a nice move. I'm excited to see that middle infield, do you know the athletic defensive things that they're kind of designed to do especially eliminating the shift which kind of brings us into my next question is um you know the hottest topic um aside from the world baseball classic during these last couple months have been the rule changes um the shift ban and the larger bases have kind of gone under the radar because the pitch clock has caused so much kind of commotion but what are your thoughts on the three new rules to speed up pace of play and increase balls in play? Well, I, I you know I'm a fan of the new rules. I am um, too. If, if you've if you've ever been around the press box, those four hour games, people start getting a little cranky. Um, so making them a little bit shorter does help. So the pitch, I, I'm a fan of the pitch clock, but I, I think people 
sometimes overlook the fact that it's not just like you're not shortening game. You're not taking outs away from baseball, right? You're not taking pitch. You're not taking the game itself away. You're taking that dead time in between pitches and in between innings. You're taking all that dead time away, which over the course of a game, over the course of a season, that all adds up to you're not you're not sitting at the ballpark for four hours, but you're still getting constant action. And unless games go to extra innings, 27 outs per side, right? Um, so I, that's why I, I really like the pitch clock. I, I, I understand that it's still going to take some getting used to for pitchers, especially the veteran pitchers that, you know, don't like change, and, and rightfully so. Like, no one likes change. Um but the you know the pitchers will get used to it, and you'll start just seeing a faster pace and a faster play in the game. And and if those games are going two and a half, two forty five, like I don't think people are going to be too upset about it versus three and a half to four hours. Um, the rest of the you know the the bigger bases, I don't know that. I guess we'll still it still remains to be seen if they truly lead to more stolen bases or even stolen base attempts. I believe spring training those numbers were up versus last year um but it remains to be seen if that how that affects in the regular season so i i'm fine with it jury's still out on it but you know it's, I, I don't think it's a negative and the shift i think you know talking to players you, even you look at former cubs right like anthony rizzo kyle schwarber mm-hmm. like guys that were strong pole hitters as those shifts got more and more extreme more and more of their hits were being taken away like some of those hits that kyle schwarber had in the World Series in 2016 may have actually been made had the you know the Indians at the time uh, been playing really really extreme shifts. I know they had you know Jason Kipnis playing deep into right field, um, but had they just had that they had the shortstop on that side and Jason Kipnis out there, those plays may have been made. Um, so all that is to say, I think it's better for the game to have more action, to have more balls in play, to make those plays that growing up playing baseball like those were hits right like you strong ball past the second baseman on the infield like that was a base hit those should be base hits and i think the shift is will help in bringing them back how many hits it adds to like each individual player's game another thing that remains to be seen but i do think just overall you'll start seeing more of those those hits that were getting taken away become hits again i i think just more balls in play, more guys on base. Like, all that's just better for action and better for, you know, the game of baseball. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was Cody Bellinger who said it at the uh, Cubs convention. He was like, line drive up the middle as a kid, base hit. Line drive up the middle in high school, base hit. Line drive up the middle in college, base hit. Line drive up the middle in the minors, base hit. And then you get to the pros the last couple of years, it's not a base hit anymore. And it, it's led to a lot of guys kind of changing their thought process, you know, where's the one place I can hit it where they're not going to be out of the ballpark, you know, the launch angle um, kind of started becoming more prominent in people's, you know, mindset going up to the plate. And it's led to kind of that three true outcome of home run, strikeout, walk. And these rules, I think, revert back to the more pure baseball, which, which I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I mean, Ian Happ said something similar later in the season last year. You know, he, um, I think it would have been in September. It would have been right after the rule changes came. Um, and he talked about, you know, hitting a ball directly up, like smoking a line drive up the middle and going right into the shortstop or second base from the club, whoever it was. Now, that may still happen because they don't have 
it's just two you know two players on each side of second base so that shortstop if he's lefty like could still theoretically shift over as long as he's on his side of second base um but i think you'll start seeing more of those go through without again a, a lefty pull hitter without that shortstop being able to shift all the way over to second base like those those will go through a little bit more um and yeah so i i'm, I'm in agreement i think a li- restricting the shift just helps the you know the aesthetic appeal of, of baseball right? like offense offense is king we know that um and so any more offense any more balls in play that lead to hits and lead to men on base like that's going to help the game grow uh you know incrementally like we don't, we don't i don't know how uh, uh, you know a base hit that gets through the right side will, will help it grow i don't think we can quantify that but <laughs> i think the more that there's action in baseball the more people will actually want to watch and just that will that will help the game grow itself yeah absolutely and i mean i think you and i and the other people who, who really have fallen in love with this game are going to watch it whether it's you know four hours or two and a half but you know, there's some other people that they don't like baseball because it's boring or because nothing happens. And and now this is, I think, a nice attempt to kind of draw those fans in and show them how exciting baseball can be and, and how uh, you don't potentially have to block, you know, a sixth of your day just to watch one game. Yeah, no, I, that's what I'm saying is, is I, you know, people, traditionalists are just don't like it. They think baseball should be left alone. Um, but just like any game, you know, Things change. Things change to bet for the betterment of the game. Um, like I, I think these changes better the game. The MLB front office uh, thinks that these changes will benefit the game, um, and so it's worth it's worth testing out, right? It's worth testing out to see how you can improve the game. You know the the NCAA banned dunking when Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was in college because he was so good at it. Did it did it last? No, but it was you know in their mind it was worth testing out to see if it bettered the game at all because Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was so dominant <laughs> um but that's what I'm trying to say is, is I guess we won't know until we really try whether these will lead to just the growth and just the betterment of baseball but we saw how without these changes how baseball was a little was struggling a little bit so in my opinion it's worth the changes worth trying to see how much better the game can be with these real changes in place Absolutely. Now, you know, starting spring training, one of the biggest question marks was how the Cubs were going to handle third base. You know, at Cubs convention, it was kind of announced that Nick Madrigal was going to take some ground balls at third. And obviously Patrick Wisdom is in that picture. Um, And then first base and center field kind of just settled into the guys that the Cubs signed. Cody Bellinger in center and Eric Hosmer is going to start the season at first. Trey Mancini was kind of expected to be designated hitter, but without... Uh, Seiya Suzuki in the picture in right field for now we'll see a little bit of Mancini in right Um, and this also in my mind opened up a lot of potential playing time for Christopher Morel in right field or at third base or at designated hitter especially with the Suzuki injury it opened up a lot of different markets for him to slide into the lineup but um, it appears the Cubs think he'll get a little bit more development down in triple-a um Similar to Matt Mervis, there's not a ton of at-bats for him available at the major league, so they're going to let him be a starter in AAA like Morel. Do you think those um, two decisions are going to benefit those guys long-term? Because, I mean, I'm looking at it, and there's no way you're going to tell me Edwin Rios is a better player than Christopher Morel, or that Eric Hosmer right now is a better hitter than Matt Mervis, but 
if it's about these guys' development and getting them regular four at bat days, day after day, is going to help them in the long term, I'm fine with them starting in AAA. Yeah, I, I do think that is going to help with their development overall. I mean, Christopher Morrell, great, great human being, first of all, was an awesome player like he injected so much energy into that team in may when he got called up and just throughout the season when they kind of needed it um but if we're being honest like he struck out a lot at the major league level even in spring training his strikeout rate was pretty high um and I, you know i don't know i don't know how they view triple a as far as that like i don't know if they view him going down to triple a and playing every day if that's absolutely going to lower his strikeout rate. Um, but I do see the benefit in him just getting every day at bats, right? Like you, you mentioned right field and third base seem like positions that Christopher Morrell could factor in. Um, but those also felt like positions he may not be able to play every day. You have Patrick wisdom who can play third or right field. Trey Mancini can play right field. Edwin Rios plays third base. Nick Madrigal is now over at third base. Like there are a lot of players that need some playing time. And it felt like Christopher Morrell just wasn't going to get those everyday at bats. In Triple A, he will. I don't know what his position mainly will be. Um, you know, I did a mailbag yesterday. I said that if it were up to me, I'd like to see him play a lot of third base, mm-hmm. just because that's not a position that's been locked down yet. Um, but I think the idea of him getting everyday at bats, you hope that that lowers the strikeout rate, of course. Um, but just getting him everyday at bats at a Triple A level, which he has not played, I think he's. 10 total games at triple a mm-hmm. in his minor league career so just getting him at bats at that level letting him play every day uh i think that will help his development and i think you know he's not that far away he's still on the 40 man if something happens and you know a need arises he's right there a call away he has major league experience here so you're not calling up a straight up rookie anymore um but i think starting him at triple a letting him play every day uh i think that's going to benefit him and, and same with matt mervis i think you know he does well he'll probably end up on the major league roster at some point this year uh but maybe this is something where hey you know what matt just go go conquer go conquer triple a go conquer triple a show us you're the first baseman of the future you're not far away um and you'll be up you'll be up at some point you're gonna help us this year um but they again they have hosmer and trey mancini who can play first base edwin rios patrick wisdom can also factor in there so they have options um and Matt, you know, Matt Mervis shot. He played three different levels last year. It's not like he spent the whole season at AAA. Um, he dominated at all three levels, but he shot up through the system pretty quick. So this, I think, will benefit him. Just, you know, again, continue to get your at bats, man. Conquer AAA. You're not that far away either, uh, and, and you'll, your time will come. Yeah, I'm with you there. Now, now, come opening day. Um, it, I would guess Edwin Rios and Miles Mastroboni, who are expected to make the roster, will not be um, in the starting lineup. Would you guess Madrigal at third, Wisdom at designated hitter, and Mancini in right? Is that your guess? That That's such a hard question. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a hard question because, uh, I mean, I, you, have, you have some of your spots set, right? Um, and you got to think like, you know, Corbin Burns is going to be on the opening day on, on the mound on opening day for the Brewers who matches up well against him. You know, maybe a, a guy who is a good contact hitter like Nick Madrigal would be, you know, more likely to be in the starting lineup against a, a guy like Corbin Burns. Right. Um, where Patrick wisdom, 
uh, I, you know, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I believe he struggled against Corbin Burns in his career, um, and obviously limited appear, you know, limited plate appearances against him. But um, you know, maybe isn't the guy that you want out there to face a, a potential Cy Young. Um, you know, Edwin Rios, lefty, left-handed power. Maybe he plays at third base because you you want you, at least you get a lefty righty matchup with some power, some pop against Corbin Burns, right? So, um, you know, I think you have like five or so positions that are going to be set, um, five or six, something like that. And you know, Trey Mancini, I could see him playing right field, maybe, but I can also see him DHing because you know, right field in April at Wrigley Field is is it's no fun. It's <laughs> a son of a gun, man. Um, so maybe you don't want to throw some guy without any experience in that right field in April out there on opening day. So I don't have, I don't have an opening day projected lineup for you right now. Um, yes, I can see Nick Madrigal playing at third base to start opening day. I can also see Edwin Rios. I can also see, I can see Mancini playing right field. I can see wisdom playing right. I, you know, there, there's those two positions are such toss ups at the moment. Um, you don't really know exactly what it's going to be until obviously David Ross submits it, but you got you got probably four or five guys who are going to factor into those two spots, and any one of them could get that call on opening day. You know, get that get that starting spot on opening day. So yeah, we'll see for sure. And it, it doesn't uh, doesn't necessarily mean that's your penciled in starter for one sixty two. It's about winning that first game. So we'll see what yep. David Ross decides to do, um, and we'll see kind of how that roster shakes out once Kyle Hendricks and Seiya Suzuki return from injury. It'll be interesting to see kind of where the pieces fall into place then. But, Ryan, my last question for you is Vegas has the Cubs over-under set at 77.5 wins. Do you think they go over or under that in 2023? I'm, I'm going to go over. Uh, I think this roster at full, at full health is, is, is a solid roster. I don't know if they're a playoff team. I don't, you know, I, I think they have a good floor. I don't think they have as high of a ceiling as they, you know, they could have if they made a few more additions in the off season, a few more bigger additions, I guess I'd say. Um, so maybe the ceiling's not as high as some of these other teams. Uh, but I think you said it was seventy-eight and a half. Seventy-seven and a half. Okay, so I think seventy-seven and a half. It feels low. It feels like the Cubs haven't, you know, they were seventy-four and eighty-eight. I want to say last season. Um, so it feels like this roster is more than a few games better than what they were last year. Um, we'll see, but if I if I were to if I were a betting man, I'd probably put it on the over right now. Got it. I think I'm with you there as well. Well, Ryan, good luck this year. Hopefully, I'll see you at Wrigley at some point. Definitely, man. Thank you for having me. Of course, that'll do it for this edition of the Cubs Corner. As always, this episode is brought to you by Coaches Bar and Grill and available on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and the Cubs HQ website. But for now, thank you all for coming to the Cubs Corner.